Once again, we turn in our Bibles this afternoon to God's Word. We're continuing along in our series through the Heidelberg Catechism, continuing on in Lord's Day 21, coming this afternoon to question answer 56, and what we believe when we say, I believe, the forgiveness of sins. And to consider that question and answer, we'll turn in the first place to Psalm 103, before looking in the second place to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Psalm 103, this is God's holy word. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field. For the wind passes over and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, and all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's turn also in our Bibles to to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll read verses 16 to the end of the chapter. The Apostle Paul here is defending his ministry as an Apostle of Christ, as one who proclaims reconciliation in Christ. He writes to the church in Corinth with these words, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making His appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, 
be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. We turn also in our catechism to Lord's Day 21 to question and answer 56. The catechism, of course, is continuing along the thread of the Apostles' Creed, what it is that, that we as a church confess before God and before all the world. And Lord's Day 21 is teaching us, instructing us about the Holy Catholic Church, about the communion of saints, and this evening, the forgiveness of sins. The Catechism asks us the question, what do you believe concerning the forgiveness of sins? I believe that God, because of Christ's satisfaction, will no longer remember any of my sins or my sinful nature, which I need to struggle against all my life. But rather, by His grace, God grants me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into judgment. So far, the church's confession may God bless our meditation on His Word this evening. Dear brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, we get the impression from Psalm 103 that King David is simply overwhelmed by the steadfast love and mercy of the Lord toward his people. David is overwhelmed not only by that love that God has shown toward him. We've seen that personal expression in Psalm 51. But also, David is overwhelmed by the expression of God's love also to the communion of his people. And that's the way it needs to be also for us this evening. When we consider the magnitude of God's mercy we too ought to be totally overwhelmed. Perhaps it's striking to some of us that our confession would take us to consider the forgiveness of sins in the context of Lord's Day 21 and the Holy Catholic Church. We've been considering the Holy Catholic Church, how the Church of Christ is still glorious because she consists of an enduring community, a community of living members called out of the world and into God's marvelous light, how, how she has been from the beginning of the world and will be until the end thereof. We've seen how the church of Christ is still glorious because she knows what it is to commune with Christ himself. She knows what it is to, to share in Christ and all his treasures and gifts. She knows what it is to be a communion of saints. But at first glance, it would seem that this question and answer may have perhaps deserved its own division to itself. I, mean, I think at least one of the reasons for why our confession regarding the forgiveness of sins comes to us in connection with the Holy Catholic Church is because it's here in the Church of Christ that God's forgiveness is fully appreciated and celebrated. It's here in the Church of Christ amongst the communion of saints that God's forgiveness is is treasured more than all things in all the world. And so this evening, boys and girls, we consider something that is truly worthy of our appreciation. We, We consider the fact that we as believers truly do have something to celebrate. Because this evening we, we consider that which lies at the very heart of the gospel, that God does not deal with us according to our sins. When God sees us, when He sees you and me, He 
regards us as those who in Christ are new creations, as those in whom God says the the old has passed away and, and the new has come. As the Apostle Paul tells us, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Because we sang at the start of our service, if God should mark our sins, then who could stand? If God should mark our sins, then who of us could stand? But grace and mercy dwell at God's right hand. And so this evening we consider the gospel, the good news, that God has forgiven us for the sake of Christ, His Son. This evening we consider that which is the remedy to the biggest problem that we have, our sin problem, and and to all the other problems that spring forth from that sin problem. I believe the forgiveness of sins. This is the church's confession. This is the believer's confession. And so as we work our way through this question and answer this evening, let's consider these three things together. First of all, we consider the reason for God's forgiveness. Secondly, we consider the recipients of God's forgiveness. And finally, we consider the result of God's forgiveness. The reason, the recipients, and the result of God's forgiveness. Here in Psalm 103, it's almost as though King David is, is looking back on the history of Israel. And as he as he does, as he looks back on Israel's history, he recalls the instances where, where God's people witnessed the Lord's provision firsthand and yet so often insist on going their own way. How often didn't the people of Israel deserve God's wrath and judgment? How often didn't the people of Israel deserve God's covenant curse? And yet how often didn't the Lord show them mercy? How often didn't the Lord show him mercy in spite of the fact that that mercy was the last thing they ever should have deserved? As high as the heavens were above the earth, so great was the steadfast love of the Lord toward his people. As far as the east was from the west, so far the Lord removed their transgressions from them time and time again. God showed compassion to those who deserve judgment. And so the question that this song of forgiveness would ask of us, the question that our, that our catechism would press us with this morning is, is why would God be this way? Why would God be so willing, so desirous to, to forgive sinners such as you and me? Because certainly when we consider our own lives, we consider how we relate to each other. That's not our natural inclination, isn't it? To, to be merciful to those who have wronged us. Why would God be this way? Why would God be so merciful? The answer we discover is really quite humbling, isn't it? Because the answer that we discover is not that we are so deserving. It's not that God shows us mercy because we finally repented enough or or worthied ourselves up enough to, to merit or earn His favor. But rather, the answer we discover is that God has dealt with His people in this way. We discover that God deals with us in this way. Because this is who He is. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. 
the psalmist and our catechism alike direct our eyes to the very heart of God to see the God who to see God for who He really is in the Lord Jesus Christ. When we lift our eyes to God's heart, we find out that God forgives us because He loves us, because He has loved us from before the foundation of the world. When we get to the heart of our confession concerning the forgiveness of sins, we arrive at the heart of God, who in Christ has reconciled you and me unto Himself. I was reminded of those words from Hosea chapter 11 where, where in the midst of lamenting the fact that Israel has been so bent on, on turning away, of, of going in the way of idolatry and adultery and many other things, in the midst of Israel is being bent on backsliding, God cries out as a father would cry out for his children. He says, how, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? My heart churns within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. And that's the way that God deals with us today. Of course, I don't know all the sins that that plague you day after day. And perhaps some of your sins are so secret that nobody but God Himself knows about them. But this much I do know. Because of Christ's atoning work, because of Christ's satisfaction, God says also to you, how can I ever give you up, O saints of adoration you are see? How can I ever hand you over? My heart churns within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. It's important, you see, that we fully recognize what it is that our catechism is saying. And to do that, we have to understand what sin really is. As we heard earlier on in Lord's Days 2 through 4, we know that if we want to understand the magnitude of God's mercy, we have to also understand the the magnitude, the extent of our misery. We need to recognize the seriousness of sin, how abominable it is in the sight of a holy God. It is so serious, we've confessed before, that, that God's justice demands that all sin committed against His supreme majesty must be punished with the supreme penalty, eternal punishment of body and soul. Perhaps, boys and girls, you've heard of sin being described as missing the mark. One of my catechism teachers often used that illustration of, of shooting a bow and an arrow and totally missing the target. And certainly that's one way to describe what sin is. To sin is to miss the mark. God calls for perfection, but, but we fall short of that perfection every day. We miss the mark. Another place out the Bible, sin is described in the terms of, of trespassing or, or overstepping. And we all know what that's about as well, don't we? We've all missed the mark. We've all overstepped. Every time we fall into temptation, we we step outside of the boundaries of God's law and will for our lives. But when it comes to forgiveness, I'd like for us to think of sin tonight as being like a heavy burden resting upon our shoulders. Sin is a, a heavy burden weighing us down, threatening to crush us. It's so heavy, we can't free ourselves of it on our own. And every day we add to that burden. 
And if someone doesn't come along to help us, we're going to be crushed. But when God forgives, that crushing weight is lifted from off our shoulders. That's the imagery behind the word for forgiveness in the original language. Is the, to, to forgive connotes the idea of, of lifting up and carrying away. And that's what God does for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He lifts the burden of our sins from off our shoulders and He places it instead on the cross of Christ. He places it instead on His shoulders so that Christ might be crushed under the weight of our sins. You see, God forgives in this way because sin isn't something that can just be shoved under the rug. God can't just turn a blind eye to sin. But our sin has to be dealt with. God's justice has to be satisfied. And that's what Christ has done. By dying the death that we could not endure to die, Christ made satisfaction for sin. For our sakes, as the Apostle Paul, God made him who knew no sin to be sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God Reformed theologians have called this the the great, the glorious exchange. Our sin, our unrighteousness placed on Christ's shoulders. His righteousness placed upon us. And because that satisfaction has been made, we can join the Psalms in singing those words that are so precious to us that the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We sing these words in light of Christ's satisfaction. In light of Christ's atoning work, God will not always chide. Because of Christ's atoning work, God will not keep His anger forever. Because of Christ's satisfaction, God does not deal with us according to our sins. Because of Christ's satisfaction, God does not repay us according to our iniquities. Because of Christ's satisfaction, God will no longer remember any of my sins or my sinful nature, which I am to struggle against all my life. This is the believer's confession. This is the church's confession. We notice in the second place this evening that the recipients of God's forgiveness are, are described by our charisma as those who, who struggle against their sins, against their sinful natures all their lives. In other words, the recipients of God's forgiveness are those who have known the transforming power of the grace of Christ. Were it not for Christ's transforming grace, we wouldn't struggle against sin at all. Were it not for Christ's transforming grace, we'd be perfectly content to, to travel the road that we're on right to our demise. But according to God's amazing grace, He takes us off that path and He places us on the path of our older brother Jesus to, to follow in His steps all the way to glory. And by God's grace, you and I are described in Psalm 103 as those who now fear the Lord. He, he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He, he knows us better than we know ourselves. He knows what we need. And so He knows our inability. He knows our neediness. He knows that we are each one sinners in need of a Savior, but God meets that need in Christ. He provides for us that we could not otherwise provide for ourselves. God has met our need in such a way that Christ has 
kept the covenant that we could never keep on our own. The psalmist says, The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. And His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. But when we look at ourselves in the mirror of God's law, what do we soon discover? What we immediately discover is that by nature we don't fear God at all. By nature, we don't keep God's covenant. We don't remember to do God's commandments. And yet such are the recipients of God's forgiveness. God remembers those who fail to remember Him. He remembers us. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows that we can't do anything on our own. And so by His Spirit, what does God do? As we heard a few weeks ago on Lord's Day 20, by His Spirit, God removes our hard hearts of flesh, our hard hearts of stone, and He replaces them with hearts of flesh. By His Spirit, He, he writes His law upon our hearts, says Jeremiah, so that He might remember our sins no more. He secures that covenant that He made with Abraham when Abraham cut those animal carcasses, and God alone walked through them. As Abraham fell asleep, God promised Abraham then and there that even if you fail to keep my covenant, I will keep the covenant for you. And I will take upon myself the sanctions of the covenant curse when you inevitably fail to keep your end of the bargain. And so God has done for us in Christ, putting him on the cross, the ultimate covenant keeper, treated as a covenant breaker for our sakes. And in light of his death and resurrection, God breathes the breath of new life into our nostrils that we might put off that old man and put on the new man. If anyone is in Christ, as the Apostle Paul, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. Brothers and sisters, the Apostle Paul is writing about us. He's describing that which is our reality this evening. You are no longer who you used to be. But as Paul once reminded Titus, so he reminds us also tonight, the grace of God has appeared. Why? To train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ who gave us to himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. In other words, God's grace has appeared to, to compel us to struggle against our sinful natures. Does this describe you tonight, people of God? Is your present life a life of, of struggling, of struggling against sin, a life of struggling against your sinful nature? If your life is a life of struggle, then praise the Lord. But if it's not, if you're not struggling anymore, if, you, if, you, if you've entered a season of spiritual lethargy, God summons us to wake up tonight. He summons us to struggle but even this summons he does with the promise of Second Peter chapter 1. His 
divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. And He has granted to us His precious and very great promises that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. In other words, God gives us divine strength for the struggle. And He does so with the most blessed assurance that He has already granted to us the perfect righteousness of Christ such that you and I will will never ever come into God's judgment. God forgives all our sins, past, present, and future. And so we can be sure that we will never enter His judgment. That's the result of God's Forgiveness. Because God no longer remembers any of our sins or holds them against us today, we can be sure that that He will not remember our sins or, or hold our sins against us on the last day either. For as heavens, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love toward us. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed all our transgressions from us. This is the believer's confession and assurance. God remembers my sins no more. He doesn't keep a record of our wrongs. He's not counting every time we fall short of his glory. He's not holding our sins against us, not anymore. It's a confession, people of God, that only the believer can make. Because for all who refuse to believe, the exact opposite is said of them. For those who refuse to believe in Christ, all their sins are carefully recorded and and written down, each and every one of them. And all their sins God will surely remember and recall to mind on the day of judgment. Rather than all their sins being removed as far as east from the west, all their sins will hit very close to home. And there will be hell to pay. But for those who have placed their trust in Christ and all those who have taken hold of his cross, despite all their sins and all their failures, they will be awarded the unfading crown of glory. And so how can we not but echo those words of the psalmist, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that has within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. How can we not but echo those words of the prophet Micah as he wrote those words to that wayward people of Israel? Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression? You do not retain your anger forever, but you delight in steadfast love. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread all our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. According to the prophet Micah, we can be sure that all our sins have been 
taken care of, full and free. You can't swim out in the waters to fish them back up again. You can be sure this evening that God isn't ever going to do that either. For He has crowned you with steadfast love and mercy. Do you believe that tonight, dear saints, that God has crowned you in this way? I mentioned before that we oftentimes look in the mirror of God's law and we, we see ourselves or who we really are, sinners without a Savior, who, who need a Savior. But the good news of the gospel and forgiveness of sins is that God has provided that Savior. And so even as we look at ourselves in the mirror of God's law, we need to also picture in our minds that on our heads rests God's crown of steadfast love and mercy. God no longer holds any of our sins against us. Rather, by His grace, God grants to us the righteousness of Christ so that we may never come into judgment, not now, not ever. When we confess the forgiveness of sins, we are indeed directed to the very heart of God, a God whose, whose, disposition, whose disposition toward us is always a disposition of arms open, of arms open and ready to receive and warmly embrace. Because by grace, God has granted to us the righteousness of Christ himself. This is the great comfort of the gospel. God has has not only taken care of your disobedience, but he's also taken care of your obedience. In his amazing grace, God has seen to it that when you appear before him on the day of judgment, you will do so not only having been acquitted of all your wrongs, but also of being robed in the righteousness of Christ. I was reminded of those last words of J. Gresham Machen, who was one of the founding figures of the formation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, having committed to a speaking engagement in North Dakota, despite the fact that he was feeling ill. He insisted on making the trip. But once he arrived, his sickness took a quick turn, and he was taken to the hospital on New Year's Eve before he died the next day. Before he died, he wrote a letter to one of his close friends and colleagues saying, I'm so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. No hope without it. For J. Gresham Machen, as he laid alone on his deathbed away from friends and family, this was his hope and comfort. Christ not only died for him, but Christ also lived for him. And so it is for each and every one of us tonight that when our time comes to meet the Lord, not only will we be acquitted of all our sins, we will also be fully vindicated as those who lived as righteously on this earth as Christ did when he sojourned with us. This is the result of God's forgiveness. Because of Christ's satisfaction, he will no longer remember any of our sins or the sinful nature that we need to struggle against all our lives. But rather by his grace, he grants to us the righteousness of Christ we might never enter into his judgment. And so we say in faith, bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Amen. Gracious God and Heavenly Father,
we indeed are overwhelmed by the magnitude of your mercy towards sinners like us. That in your grace and infinite mercy, you have forgiven us all our sins. And we know our sins, Lord. We know how abominable they are in your sight. We know how they so offend your supreme majesty. We know how they deserve your, the supreme penalty. And yet you are a God who has shown us grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, O God, for lifting the burden of sin from off our shoulders and placing it on Christ's shoulders instead. You would give us such a Savior as one who would be willing to be crushed for us. So that even though we die, yet shall we live. Father, we thank you for granting us to be then a truly forgiven community. Help us, O oh God, to be also a forgiving community. To be a community of saints that reflects the merciful heart of God to those around us. If you have been gracious to us, how can we not also to be gracious to those around us? We thank you, Lord, that we can go to sleep at night knowing that even if we should die before we wake, we will not enter your judgment for Christ's sake. Amen.